Gracious God, we thank you for the, the promise of that chorus. We thank you for the sufficiency of your grace that is so abundantly poured out upon us. We pray, O oh God, that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us through your inspired word this evening. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to respond obediently as you would lead and direct. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A few years ago, I was introduced to a marvelous devotional book by John Henry Jowett. It's entitled, My Daily Meditation. And one of those devotionals, Jowett entitled, Revisiting Old Altars, I want to share with you now. It is a blessed thing to revisit our early altars. It is good to return to the haunts of early vision. Places and things have their sanctifying influence and can recall us to lost experiences. I know a man to whom the scent of a white wild rose is always a call to prayer. Sometimes a particular pew in a particular church can throw the heavens open and we can see the Son of God. The old Sunday school has sometimes taken an old man back to his childhood and back to his God. And so I do not wonder that God led Jacob back to Bethel and that in the old place of blessing he reconsecrated himself to the Lord. This devotional is based on Genesis 35. And as we look at this story tonight, I want you to think about your places of saving and sanctifying influence. Those sacred places that have the fragrance of God's gracious presence. Jacob's blessed life as the son of a patriarch quickly degenerated into a series of life traumas, as you know. It seemed like someone was always after Jacob. The story played itself out over 40 to 45 years. Rebekah deceptively helped Jacob receive Isaac's blessing over Esau. Jacob then ran from an angry Esau who was intent on killing him. Jacob himself was deceived by his uncle Laban and had to wait 14 years to marry Rachel. Later, Jacob left Haran with all his family and possessions, causing a rift with his uncle, who was also his father-in-law. Jacob's reunion with Esau actually went quite well, but it still created some anxious moments. And then there was the violation of Jacob's daughter Dinah, the intermarrying with foreigners, and the eventual massacre of local inhabitants in Shechem. One thing after another. But what I want us to notice in the midst of all this deception and estrangement and slaughter was the holy places where Jacob encountered God. Sacred altar number one. 
You remember, there's an old spiritual about it. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. At last, Jacob saw a stairway that connected the heaven with the earth. Angels ascending and descending. There, God gave Jacob the covenant promises and the blessings of Abraham, as well as safety during his journey to Haran. There, God graciously revealed himself to Jacob and called him to a new and different way of living. Jacob declared, Surely the Lord is in this place. How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And so he renamed this holy place Bethel, meaning the house of God. Sacred altar number two was a reconciliation between Jacob and Laban at Mizpah, meaning watchtower. There God graciously revealed himself to Jacob and called him to a new and different way of being in relationship with other people. May the Lord watch between you and me when we are away from each other. Sacred altar number three is a very well-known one. Just before meeting Esau, Jacob had an all-night wrestling match with God. Though exceedingly painful for Jacob's dislocated hip, God graciously revealed himself to Jacob and changed his name. He would now be called Israel because he struggled with God. He struggled with men, but he overcame. Jacob, now Israel, called that sacred place Peniel because, he said, I saw God face to face and my life was spared. So in the midst of all of these challenges, Jacob's encounters with God created some rather holy and sacred places. And I think we can learn some valuable lessons from this ancient story. Revisiting old altars, where do we go? Now, it's important to understand that visual reminders had a prominent place in the Old Testament. Abraham had his Mount Moriah. Moses had his burning bush. Jacob had his Bethel, his Mizpah, and his Peniel. But we find the same emphasis in the New Testament, don't we? What comes to mind when I say Gethsemane, Golgotha, the road to Damascus, the cross, the empty tomb? And each time, as the body of Christ, we receive of the bread and the cup, we remember our Lord's great sacrifice. A flood of spiritual light and truth streams into our consciousness as we think about these icons of the faith. And where do we go, you and I, for our visual reminders? Now, by old altars, we are not talking about turning back the spiritual clock. We can't do that. We are not referring to warmed-over testimonies. We've all heard enough of those. As St. Paul said, we are to strain toward what is ahead. But repeatedly the scriptures, old and new, exhort us to call to mind, to recount the story, to remember where we have come from. Read the book of Deuteronomy. Remember, 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 do not forget. When you read accounts of covenant renewal in the Old Testament, often a decisive revisiting of the past takes place. 
From a New Testament perspective, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, the biblical understanding and practice of Christian worship, the nature of life in Christ itself, all have this dynamic of revisiting built into them. And one of the lessons of Christian history is that seasons of spiritual renewal, revival, and reformation often involve the discovery of something which had been lost. As C.S. Lewis once wrote, sometimes people have more need to be reminded than to be instructed. This Friday and uh, over break, I'm going to go back home to Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania. Every time I go back, I visit my home church, of course. The same building, the same sanctuary, I think the same altar rail. <laughs> In quiet moments, all alone on the front pew, the sanctuary, I reflect back on the Thursday evening revival service where God so graciously and gloriously saved me. I then kneel at that altar in the exact location where forgiveness came as a 15-year-old. It's truly a, a sacred and a holy place for me. Last summer, I attended Palcon in Eastern Nazarene College, my alma mater. I hadn't been there in a while. I can't say there's one place in particular, but as I walked the campus, I relived all of the experiences and the relationships the mentors, the services of worship and renewal and revival, the learning and equipping for ministry, a sacred and holy place. I could talk about a time at a Nazarene summer camp where I experienced spirit cleansing from all sin and the filling of my heart with the love of God. Or I could talk about a commitment service one Saturday night in, of all places, the Cotton Bowl, in Dallas, Texas, 1972. I was only two years old at the time. <laughs> but Billy Graham, yes, that Billy Graham, was preaching. And he gave an invitation to service. And I was absolutely certain that God was calling me to full-time Christian ministry. A dusty altar in a hot, open-air tabernacle a football stadium with thousands of young people, sacred, holy places where God shaped me more and more into his image. What comes to mind as you think about old altars? Revisiting old altars, why do we need to even go there? Well, I think the most important reason we learn from this story is God's command. Go up to Bethel and settle there, Jacob, and build an altar to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. Second, I think we need to revisit old altars to remember how God revealed himself to us in the first place. Like Jacob, God shows us what we need to see about his nature and character. We see his desire to make us more and more into his image. It's not really about a chunk of wood or a building or a certain town, but it is in remembering how God's grace came to us back then that we see in new ways how God's grace continues to come to us even now. 
In the church culture of our times, it seems to me that many seek a new thing, the novel, the relevant, the latest methodology or trend. However, sometimes what we most need is a renewal of the first things, the most basic things, what in reality are the main things. Third, I think revisiting our altars is about reaffirming the promises of God who saves, who calls, who provides, who protects. At Jacob's sacred places, God gave sure and certain promises to him. I am with you, Jacob, and will watch over you wherever you go. I will not leave you, Jacob, until I have done what I have promised. What good news to us tonight. Jacob said prior to his encounter with Esau, I am unworthy of all your kindness and faithfulness, O God. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan many years ago, but now I have all of this. Save me, I pray, from my brother, for I am afraid he will attack me. Jacob even reminded God of another promise. I will surely make you prosper, and your descendants will be like the sand of the sea. I'm sure all of us can relate to the circumstances that Jacob encountered, some of which he brought upon himself. But despite all of that, God was faithful to keep his promises to Jacob. Isn't it a blessing to know that no matter what the life circumstance, even the ones we bring upon ourselves, God will not leave us nor forsake us. Finally, I think revisiting old altars brings spiritual renewal when we, when we most need it. Chapter 34 sets the context. Idolatry, impurity, infidelity had clouded Jacob's walk with God. And so God commanded Jacob to return to the place of his spiritual beginnings and build another altar. Some 30 years earlier, this sacred place had created great power and spiritual meaning for him. It was risky business. Going back to Bethel, it was a great test of faith. But Jacob survived, and he received a powerful reaffirmation of God's promises. He saw a new revelation of God's presence that upheld him to his dying day. So too our old altars bring memories and blessings and commitments that simply would not be there otherwise. What illustrates this best for me, I think, is when a couple renews their vows after years of marriage. Now, the sanctuary where Cheryl and I were married was later turned into a gymnasium, so I don't know what you do with that. But, but a couple's renewing of their sacred vows and rededication to one another can serve as a springboard for even greater depths of love and commitment. Jacob returned to his sacred place and reconsecrated himself to God. And like Jacob, from time to time, God says to us, go back. In going back, we remember how God first revealed himself to us in the first place and how he has been shaping us ever since. We remember his promises to provide and to protect we remember that those sacred places give opportunity for spiritual renewal 
and reconsecration of our all to God. We remember that those old altars can serve as a springboard for even greater depths of love and commitment and service. Besides understanding why we need to revisit old altars from time to time, it's also important to understand what we need to do when we go there. Two things. First, we need to come to grips with our life circumstances. That's what God helped Jacob to do. As we already mentioned, Genesis 34 was a mess with Dinah's rape, intermarriage with non-Jews, the massacre in Shechem, and fear that the Canaanites might retaliate. But Think about what's going on in your life even now, and hopefully nothing as drastic as we see in Jacob's life. But you may be facing some rather frightful life situations. You may be dealing with some relationships in need of reconciliation. Your security may be in things rather than placing full trust and hope in God. You may be running from something or someone. You may need to struggle with God some more on some things so that he may change you even more. Like Jacob, there may be aspects of your life out of alignment with the will of God. Remember, it was at Bethel the first time that Jacob had vowed to worship the Lord when he returned to Canaan. And so far, that vow had not been fulfilled. God helped Jacob to come to grips with that and to do something about it. Second, in revisiting old altars, what we need to do is to see and respond to God in the midst of our life circumstances. Our God is a holy God, transcendent, high and lifted up. And yet he has taken the initiative to come to us. That's what our holy and loving God does. He graciously breaks into our lives. And the story of Jacob reminds us of what we must do each time we come into the presence of the Almighty God of the universe. Every meeting with God demands absolute obedience and complete purity. We must put away everything that competes with exclusive devotion to him. We must throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The psalmist wrote, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to any idol, or swear by what is false. And so as we see in this story, Jacob and his entourage put away all their foreign gods, every one of them. They took a bath and changed their clothes, not a bad thing to do from time to time, but it has spiritual implications. The Old Testament putting away of gods foreshadowed the New Testament teaching of putting off the old self. They parted with all the spoils of war that could also have been used to make even more idols. But the point is this. Jacob and his family renounced everything that stood between them and God. They put on new spiritual clothing, so to speak, so that all of life and thought and everything about who they were 
would be shaped toward what pleased God. And in doing so, the blessing was sure to come as it did. So what comes to mind as you think about old altars? Where are they? What are those experiences? Where God revealed himself to you. Those places with saving and sanctifying influence. Why might God be calling you back, physically or spiritually, to an old altar? Perhaps it is to recall his transforming grace and to give thanks for that. Perhaps it is to reaffirm his promises to you, to protect and to guide and to continue to be with you every step of the way. Perhaps it is to reconsecrate you all to God with an obedient and pure heart. So I've thought about this. One of the exciting things about this talk of old altars is that God is faithful to help us to create new ones. As Jowett wrote, let's us use them with reverence and with grateful hearts. And tonight, as we sing our closing song, perhaps you would like to come and pray. To remember an old altar, or to create a new one. Amen. our voices we lift our hands we lift our lives up to you we are an offering Lord use our voices Lord use our hands Lord use our lives they are yours, we are an offering. All that we have and all that we are and all that we hope to be, we give to you. We our hands we lift our lives up to you we are an offering we are an offering all that we have all that we have and all that we are and all that we hope to be we give to you we give to you we lift our voices and we lift our hands we lift our lives up to you we are an offering 
gracious God, all that we have, all that we are, all that we ever hope to be, we give to you. We trust, we know, we believe that you will take all of these things, our offering, and use them for your honor and glory to the building of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in his peace.